I put a little note in the bulletin today about the situation that Brother Paul Kaufman's in. But I got another message this morning. And uh, the authorities have completely taken over to take care, provide security for him. He said, I don't even know where I am. But also, in addition to that, Alma called my attention this afternoon. We get the Dallas Morning News. And the story about this is also in the Dallas Morning News. There were 25 young people killed at one school. And there were other people then killed. And these by Congonese, people from the Congo, which this area that Paul is in is only, it's very close to the border between Uganda and the Congo. So he's in a, in other words, he's, he's restricted now. They, they're going to make sure that he's protected. So maybe he'll be able to get out. I suggested to him, why didn't he go on to, even though he's scheduled to fly from Uganda to uh, Kenya, the 28th, which from today, I guess, is, I think, uh, 10 more days. And uh, he said, well, that would be good, but he didn't have control of that right now. The, the security had control of it, and they wanted to make sure that he was happy or that he was safe and secure. So when they feel like that he probably, they'll feel like when he can safely get to the airport, they can get him to the airport and get him on the plane to go to Kenya. That will help, especially it will help uh, with his uh, safety and it will also help with the expenses, much more expensive because of the things that are necessary in his situation. So pray for Paul and pray for his safety. Tonight I want to talk to you a little while about the subject of abortion. We hear a lot about this, of course, in the news and in our country today. But we as Christians, and I'm sure that uh, I don't have to convince at least most of you, if not all of you, that abortion is wrong. It's sinful. No matter who approves of it, no matter how legal it may be in our country, it is still against the laws of God. In Genesis, the first chapter, God said, verse 26 of the first chapter, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air, over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man. In his own image, in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. 
How did life come to be? God created it. God is the creator of life. And only God has the power to authorize the taking of life. And in some instances, he has authorized that and has in the past done that. But he does not leave it up to our discretion as to what we're going to do about life. And I want us to look at some of the things tonight with regard to this. And I'm going to begin now in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs, the sixth chapter. Proverbs 6, verses 16 and 17. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift to run, uh, to, swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who dis, uh, shows discord among brethren. So, hands that shed innocent blood. I don't suppose there's much better way. That's one of the important ways of describing abortion. It is the hands of people shedding innocent blood, regardless of how much authority they may have at the land, how legal it may be. This is God's statement. This is God's attitude towards such things as that. We're told that there's somewhere around, either a little bit less or a little bit more, every year, one million babies are reported, there may be more than that, but are reported to be aborted, their lives taken. And... The last figure, I believe, one of the last figures I saw in the years in 1973 since abortion was approved in our country, made legal, there have been somewhere around 65 million babies aborted. That's a big number. And by a number of different methods of abortion, some are very gross. Some just make, sure, make my blood boil when I read the description that's been given of how babies are put to death, even in the womb of the mother, and even go so far in some instances, I think it's been proven that... Uh, some babies survive the first attempts at abortion and they are born alive and because they had intended for them to be put to death in the womb of the mother but weren't, they'll go ahead and kill them in some instances anyway. So that would be killing one who is already, who is already born. 
Is it murder or the elimination of a blob of tissue? Is it the, attract, is it the extraction of a blob of tissue or is it murder of a human being? We're going to read some things from the Bible tonight that will answer those questions. And I began, if you want to try to follow me, I began by looking at Isaiah, the 49th chapter. Isaiah 49, at verse 1. Listen, O coastlands, to me, and take heed, you peoples, from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb. Notice that. The Lord has called, Isaiah said, the Lord has called me from the womb, from the matrix of my mother. He has made mention of my name, and he has made my mouth like a sharp sword in the shadow of his hand. He has hidden me and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver he has hidden me. God had plans for Isaiah before he was even born. Let's look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah, the first chapter. At verse 5. Verse 4, beginning. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Notice that. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you, and I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Did Jeremiah's mother have a right to abort him? In light of what God tells us here about his plans for Jeremiah. In Exodus... The 21st chapter. Exodus 21st chapter, beginning at verse 22. Listen to this. If men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no lasting harm follows. He shall surely be punished according as the woman's husband imposes on him. And he shall pay as the judge determine, as the judge de judges determine. But if any lasting harm follows, and that would include, among other things, the life of the child. If any lasting harm follows, then you shall do what? Then you shall give life for life. What's that say? If these men in fighting caused that child to die, then they would have to give their life. That's God's law in the Old Testament. Life for life, but if you destroyed an eye, then take an eye. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Hand for hand, foot for hood, foot. Now those that was God's law under the law, under the law of Moses. And 
one of the problems that the people, the Jewish, the Israelite people had in the first century when Jesus came along, he dealt with that. They had taken that law, which was was not an was not the privilege of an individual, just to take law and take the law into his own hands. But that was the law, somewhat on the same principle our laws are. When when a law is violated, it doesn't give you and me as individuals the right to go do something about it and, and bring death upon that person or, or punish them in some way. We may have a part in bringing them to justice, but not taking the law in their own hands. So this was this was the matter that officially, and through the through the uh, working of the legal system, if uh, in, any kind of harm that was brought to the child, then the person who brought that to them brought that harm to them, they would suffer like harm. So those are the kind of things that we read here in the Scripture. Now let's go to the New Testament for a little while. In uh, Luke, Luke, the first chapter. Luke, the first chapter, verse 36. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, this is the angel of the Lord speaking to, to Mary. Verse 35, the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son. What had she conceived? A son. Not just a blob of tissue, but a son. In her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And so this child that was conceived in the womb of Elizabeth was called a son, a son. And then in Luke, 40, Luke 1, verse 41, and it happened when Elizabeth, now Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, and uh, it happened, because she was expecting before Mary was, and it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. The babe. Notice that. That word babe, we'll say more about that in connection with some other passages in a moment. In verse 44, for indeed as soon as the voice of your Greeting sounded in my ear, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. That's what uh, Elizabeth told Mary. So she called the child a babe. Keep those thoughts in your mind. And now also look at Luke 2. 
this time at verse 12. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. Now, in these passages we just read in Luke 1, the word babe is used to refer to the child in the womb of the mother before they're born. The same word is used here when it refers to the child that's already been born. And this will be the sign to you. You will wrap, you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. That's verse 12. Verse 16 says, And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. I'll remember just how old at this time the child would be, but it's no longer in the womb. But it's the same word that's used with regard to the child when it was still in the womb of the mother. And also in Luke, the 18th chapter. Luke, the 18th chapter. At verse 25, I believe it is. No, 15, verse 15. Then they also brought infants. Now here, what the New King James translates this word infants, but it's the same word that's translated babes in those other passages. They also brought infants to him and he, that he might touch them but when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. And Jesus called them to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. It's obvious from these passages that so far as life is concerned and the identity of the child, it doesn't really change. Oh, the parents may give the name after it's born, give it its personal name. But so far as life is concerned and what the child is, before and after birth, it is still an infant. It is still a babe, a baby, if you please. And then also in Acts, the uh, seventh chapter, Acts 7, at verse 19. This man dealt treacherously with our people. He's talking about verse 17 says, And when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt, till another king arose who did not know Joseph. Talking about Pharaoh. This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. What did he tell them to do? How was that to be done? Cast them in the river, into the river Nile. But it's the same word again, babe, baby. 
whether inside the womb or outside of the womb. And then in Exodus, back to the Old Testament for just a moment, Exodus 1 at verse 22. So Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. And so these are all cases of either killing children or teaching, commanding not to kill the children. And the words that are used to describe these, even in the one instance describing a situation where a woman is expecting a child and men in their fighting each other injure the woman and injure the child to the extent that the child dies, then life was to be given for life according to God's law. So, also the testimony of science. The first trimester of a pregnancy, the first three months. Day 22 through week 12 is that period of time. And we have an example of a child named Amelia Sonia Taylor born October the 24th, 2006, in Florida. She was born between the 21st and the 22nd week. She was nine and a half inches long, weighed 10 ounces. Four months after birth, after she was born that early, she was four and a half pounds, 15 and a half inches long. Two years later, she was a healthy toddler. When did Amelia become a human? When did she become a child, a babe? Well, the Bible tells us. Also, it's interesting to me that Jane Roe, you remember the Roe versus Wade case that began the practice of abortion in 1973. She was the one in the court system through which this, this law was brought about that abortion could be legal. Well, I don't remember the year where this was revealed, but she, long after this happened, she changed her mind. Her name was Norva McCor McCorvey, Norma McCorvey, the lead plaintiff in the Roverse case, no longer supports abortion. I don't know whether she's still living or not, because she was sent to count the parts of a fetus and had just been aborted. She said, I went back to the parts room and I looked at this tiny little infant and I freaked. It looked like a baby, baby, a human. 
That's interesting that she would say that in that way. That says to me that they had convinced her, those who were for abortion had convinced her that this really wasn't a baby when she had it aborted. Really wasn't a human yet. But she changed her mind when she saw this little one. Or this, uh, another, another one, not, not hers, but another one. All the evidence points to the fact that human life begins at conception. If that's not a human that begins at conception, what is it? It's not a, it's not a snake. It's not an animal of some kind. No. Everybody that's honest about it has to admit that it is a human, a human fetus, a human being, even though it's just beginning its life. Mankind did not make that. Now, the man and the woman, of course, who conceived this child, they're involved. But without God's power, without God ordaining this kind of uh, relationship and this way of bringing humans into the world, but it didn't come up, it didn't become a human fetus or a few human being sometime later. Life was conceived at the order of, of God, and it was not anything but the life of a human. One of the questions that is raised sometimes is why is it more wrong to kill a human than it is to kill a dog, a rat, or a snake? You know, atheists, those who do not really believe in the Bible, they can't really answer that question as to why it's more wrong to kill a human being than it is to kill a rat or a snake. But why is that? Why is it more wrong? And you know, we see demonstrated, and you know, I've always, I've always referred to, and I understand why people refer to dogs as man's best friend, you know, in the animal kingdom. I think a lot more of dogs than I do of cats. Now, some of you may be offended by that, that love cats. But the response that dogs give to you, your own dogs give to you, I've had that experience. I still remember Rusty when I was a child. He was, our, he was the first dog that I remember as having. One of the things, one of the things I appreciated about him, he hated snakes. He loved to kill snakes, and he sometimes paid the price for that. I've seen his head swell up twice as big; it looked like it's twice as big as ordinary because he, he tangled at the wrong angle from with the wrong kind of snake. But we'd take our horses out to the slough pond, out in the portion of the 
farm in front of our house. We take them out there to water them. And he loved to go with us. And when we get close enough that those water snakes would begin to hit the water, and he'd hear that, and he'd run just as hard as he could run, jump just as far as he could jump, swim till he caught the first one, and it's right there in the water, sling it to death. And he dearly loved to do that. So I appreciate and, uh, and always have appreciated, uh, you know, the way people think about their dogs and the way I've thought about dogs we've had. But killing a dog is a lot different, and I'm not promoting the idea of killing a dog just for the joy of killing the dog, but sometimes dogs get in the, get in the shape and the condition that they need to be put out of their misery. And that's different from killing a hu human being. So keep these thoughts of these things. Why is it moral? Because human beings, as we could read in a number of passages, and I'll not do, do all of them, but I'll do the first, first passages that were spoken with regard to this. Why is it more wrong to kill a human being to kill, than it is to kill an animal of some kind? Well, in Genesis, the first chapter, at verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. So God blessed them, and God said to, to them, be fruitful and multiply. But in verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God wanted us to understand and know that we're created in his image. And that's not from the physical standpoint. God is not a physical being. That's talking about from the spiritual standpoint. God created within us a spirit. That old expression, dead all over like rover referring to the dog, Rover. We understand, if we understand the teaching of the Bible, we understand that when animals die, they're dead all over, as that statement says. They don't have a spirit that lives on. But when human beings die, the wise man says the spirit run, returns unto God who gave it. The Spirit returns unto God who gave it. And that's exactly why. Because those little babies in the, in the womb of the mother, they are made in the image of God. And that's why it's wrong to kill them. So, Isaiah talks about, in Isaiah the fifth chapter, the society in which he lived, that they were calling that which was good evil and calling evil good. And I'll tell you, I believe that the institution of abortion in our country, it's not the only thing that contributed, but I believe this went a long ways in helping 
people in this country come to the position that now they, be, that now they believe that what the Bible says is evil, they believe is good. And what the Bible says is good, they believe is evil. And that's when a society gets to that position, thankfully we have a lot of folks in this country still that don't believe that. But when a society gets, God has demonstrated, when it gets wicked enough from that standpoint, he has destroyed those societies in times past. And so far as that's concerned, he can still do it again. We don't need to have the disposition that we go along with. We don't do what some folks do when they disagree with something. We as Christians don't get in the street and miss people and violate the law and so forth to oppose that. But we should resolutely stand for what is right all the days of our life. And I hope this short lesson will help us to understand the importance of opposing not only abortion, but a lot of things that are approved in our society today that the Bible, that God clearly condemns. If you're subject to the invitation of the Lord tonight, we've not talked about what to do to become a Christian or what to do even as a Christian. But the simplicity of it is Christians, when we sin and we don't, we're not sinless. We have the responsibility to repent of those sins and ask God to forgive us. And if you need to respond to the invitation in that way, or if you've never become a child of God in the way that God tells us, by being baptized for the remission of your sins, on the basis of your faith and your repentance of sin, why don't you do that right now as together we stand and sing? Dear Savior, thy glory and thy rest, oh, shall I be so blessed? Oh, Savior, my Redeemer, what can I but adore? And magnify and praise thee and love thee evermore. Is it for me thy welcome, thy Jesus for me thy come ye blessed, for me so full of sin. O Savior, my Redeemer, what can I but adore, and magnify and praise thee, and love thee evermore. O Savior, precious Savior, my heart is at thy feet. I bless thee and I love thee and thee I long to meet. O Savior, my Redeemer, what can I but adore and magnify and praise thee and love thee ever?